Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Loud Librarians, where we talk about, ponder, discuss in great detail, all library things, and in this first season, we are taking you inside the ever-evolving and always mysterious world of copyright. I'm your host, Hannah. Hey, and I'm Amber. So, Hannah, I've got a pretty random question for you. All right, shoot. Uh, If today you were a book, what would the title of said book be? Someone give me new shoes. My (laughs) shoes are too small. Please help. It's the first thing that came to my mind. (laughs) Because when I ordered these shoes, it was only in European sizes. Oh, that's tricky. It's tricky because um, they like, uh, I I, I guess it's uh, like, you know, it's mostly on the half. And I'm not a half, I'm a full. So I went yeah. I went a went size down. I went down and my toes are squished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I I should have gone one up. And then when I went yeah. back onto the website today to say darn you yeah. they said, We recommend ordering the size up. <gasps> that wasn't there when I ordered them. I'm not even kidding. I f- see, I don't like to go sizes up because it's a vanity issue. So yeah, I don't want to like look like I have big feet. Yes, you know. Yes, I understand. I will endure the pain. I, I, I know, I know. But now there is pain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but enough about me and my feet. Yeah, um, Amber, that's a pretty good question. Yeah, I like it. But, and, and that's my and that that would be my book title. But but what what about you? What 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 why do you, why do you ask me such a question? <laughs> you probably have a title on here. Yeah, huh? I always have titles of books in my head biographical titles and my title would be i don't care how tired you are <laughs> don't rub your eyes <laughs> don't rub your eyes while wearing contacts colon stories from an insomniac i love it yes don't rub okay no because you wear contacts yes okay i don't wear contacts oh, like you're lucky oh be so oh Rubbing your eyes with contacts, those contacts will not be found. They will they get lost they in get your lost eyeball. In your eyeball. It's it's the screams that I have let out. So is this like a a book of short, scary stories? Yes, like unfortunate stories, like three minute minute chillers. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So I'll have many questions for you in my next <laughs> in my next eye exam. But um, as far as uh, questions, exams, eyeballs, yeah, um, and things that have nothing to do with the later two things I just mentioned, yeah. um, copyright. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it could have to do with eyeballs. <laughs> it's a very vast topic. That's why I'm so excited. We're 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 covering so much of it. Because oh. uh, see, in in this episode, in in this episode right here. We are discussing one of the most critical components of copyright, fair use. Ooh. Mm-hmm, indeed. Yeah. Because see, so what's very, lots of questions. Okay, so in, oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you. In its most general sense, fair use is any copying of copyrighted material done for a limited and transparent formative purpose and we'll get 
more into what uh, transformative means later on in this episode. But essentially, when sharing copyrighted work through the means of fair and square use, fair use, you do not need necessarily You do not necessarily need permission from the copyright owner. Right. So in other words, fair use is like a defense against the claim of copyright infringement. If you use, if your use qualifies as a fair use, then it would not be considered a violation of copyright. So in essence, fair use allows you to share copyrighted content that you otherwise may not be able to share under Different existing pretenses. Amazing. Yeah. Love a loophole or, yeah. you know, fair use. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So this is very, there's a, there's a lot to cover here. And uh, though there are, what kind of complicates things uh, even more is that there are no like kind of true clear cut rules for deciding what's fair use. Um, it is determined by these four factors. Drum roll, please. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, the purpose of the use. Number two, the nature of the copyrighted work. Number three, the amount of the material used. And number four, the effect of use on the potential market for or value of the work. Uh, so another way to look at this is when determining fair use, you can look at the why of the copyrighted work, which is the first thing we mentioned, the purpose, the what, which is the second, the nature, uh, how much, which is number three, the amount, and to what economic effect, the last one uh, we mentioned, which is the effect on the potential market. And right now we're going to discuss the first set of these rules, which is the purpose of copyrighted work. So in looking at the purpose of copyrighted work, you should always ask yourself, why is the work being used? Right. You are, Amber. Uh, And one way you can answer why the work is being used is by determining whether or not the copyrighted work has been transformed into something new or of new utility or meaning. Uh, so let's say, let's say uh, you, Amber, yeah. you uh, you incorporate quotations into a paper. Right. Uh, like let's say, um, you know, you use a quote from Stephen King's 1977 novel, The Shining, yeah. as part of your thesis argument on why you won't stay in haunted hotels. Mm-hmm. It's a bizarre class you're taking for this thesis argument, but... <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't hold that against you. I mean, I would be like, why should you stay? Okay, great. Yeah, great. You know what? Let's change it up. Yeah. You take a quote from Stephen King's novel, The Shining. Yeah. And for your thesis argument on why you should stay in haunted hotels, that's going to be a, that, that that sounds like a more interesting paper. Also a very interesting class that you're writing this for. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, the point is, is that is totally fine. And within the realm of fair use, because you aren't rewriting or plagiarizing King's work, you don't need to get permission from Stephen King to use it. I mean, he doesn't have the time for this. Um, whether you're merely merely commenting on the work, 
in order to enhance your own. Um, the original quotation is transformed. Yeah. Or maybe you'll include pieces of a work mixed into a multimedia product. So now you're an art teacher conducting a lesson on the art form of collage. You don't have to get permission from Armani to cut out their cologne ad in a magazine and paste it onto your collage because new meaning is added to the work through its use. And not to mention in this specific example, your lesson plan on collage also facilitates teaching or learning. So super okay for fair use. I, I think we're living our best lives in these examples <laughs> as you're taking a, a, a course on spooky things and yeah. I'm being a kooky collage teacher. It can be a vision board. Yes, a vision board. Yeah. We're doing collage in college. Uh, <laughs> either way, <laughs> a vision board, that's good too. I mean, or, okay, let's, let, I have one more here. Yeah. So, okay, right now. Another uh, common transformative use of copyrighted work is through uh, commentary or criticism mm -hmm. as well. Uh, so right now, I am going to speak the opening lyrics to Billy Joel's 1977 hit song, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Oh. And I don't know why this is the second example from 1977 that has come up right now. It's probably a good year. It must have been a great year. Yeah. <laughs> we got King, we got Joel. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> A bottle of white, a bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rosé instead. Now, I do not, I, I, I said those words, Billy Joel. I, I said your lyrics, and uh, but what I'm going to say is that I'm going to use these, these words, these lyrics by Billy Joel to comment on how, uh, you know, he mentions uh, white, red, rosé, and it wasn't. It's, it, it occurred to me it really wasn't until the last decade in which orange wine started to make a splash in popular culinary culture. So that, that's my take. That's my commentary on uh, these lyrics. I so um, in this example, yeah. new meaning is added through the work. It's it's transformed. I'm not plagiarizing Billy Joel. I didn't even sing the words because I wanted to spare you all mm -hmm. from my voice uh and you know i could even take these lyrics i could start a food blog and make a whole commentary on how orange wine really only made a splash in um in mainstream culinary culture uh recently certainly not in 1977 because it's not being offered at this uh, italian restaurant yeah and i would make a thesis argument on why you shouldn't drink orange wine yeah and you could use those lyrics or other lyrics you could use, you could then quote, and it, so in my food blog that I'm commenting on that, then yeah. you could take a quote I say from that blog and make a comment yourself. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. So when the copyrighted work is used without violating any laws because its purpose falls within the realm of fair use, it would be because, one, the work is transformed and not used as is. Two, the work is radically and significantly significantly changed from the original. Three, the work provides a commentary, critique, or parody of the original. Four, new meaning is added to a work through its use. Or lastly, the work facilitates teaching or learning. Okay, that's a lot there. But, you yeah. know, I say that I, I think that last point is a key and also probably, dare I say, the most common instance of fair use that we see personally as university librarians. Yeah. 
See, what this means is that it's most of the time okay to use a copyrighted work or at least an acceptable minimal portion of it in, say, a classroom setting, as opposed to using a copyrighted work for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, um, in the library here, we have a service called Document Delivery, or Doc Delivery for short. Uh, and <laughs> the cool kids, exactly. That's an inside library scoop. <laughs> <laughs> We're cool here at the yeah. library. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and what it is is like, you know, let's say a researcher um, or instructor wants to request a portion of a non-circulating uh material like say a there's a journal in our collection it's not an ebook it can't be circulated and they would like to um you know have a printed or electronic delivery of a of a chapter of this material or an article from this uh periodical we can scan it and deliver it to them uh most of the time because they are using that for teaching and learning purposes now can we scan the full book or even more than one chapter sometimes probably not i mean certainly not the full book mm-hmm. uh and it is like you know a tricky thing that we have to use based on judgment of what's a fair portion to scan of this material what's not but overall we are very cautious of you know not uh violating any copyright laws and also trying to promote uh learning and teaching yeah and though not all educational uses are automatically fair uses. Using a work for educational parody or commentary purposes is more likely to fall within the lines of fair use, as opposed to work that's being used for commercial purposes. So, for example, commentary examples, uh, copying a photograph of a painting found in an art history textbook for the purpose of scholarly commentary on the work would be fair use. But by contrast, using the same copyrighted photo on an advertisement for a commercial product would not be fair use. Similarly, if you want to quote a few lines from a Beyonce song in a music review, that's totally cool. But if you incorporate those lyrics into your published book of poetry, that's going to be a problem. And B will come after you. You don't want want the beehive after you. You don't want that. Or the Swifties. Oh, that's that's another another episode. Yeah. (laughs) The underlying rationale of this rule is that the public reaps benefits from your commentary, which is thereby enhanced by including some of the copyrighted material. Okay. Yeah, those are those are good examples. There's I mean, another and another uh another thing that falls within the realms of fair use beyond commentary is something is something called parody. Yeah. And now a parody is a literary or musical work in which the style of an author or work is closely imitated for comic effect or ridicule. So simply put, the new work makes fun of the old work through imitation. Uh, Moreover, the new work must comment, criticize, or make fun of the original work in some new way. It must be, again, transformative of the original work. Keyword. Exactly. And one of the reasons that parody is protected under fair use is that most people do not like their works being made fun of, and it would be nearly impossible to get permission from the original content creator. So the fair use defense is used as a buffer to give content creators 
and artists use of a work that otherwise would probably never be given. Yeah. So, like, Hannah, you know Weird Al Yankovic, right? Love him. I mean, if you don't know who Weird Al Yankovic is, you've got to check him out. He's like the king of parodies. And one of his most popular tunes is Amish Paradise, which is a parody of the late great Coolio's Gangster's Paradise. Oh, please go into a little more detail. <laughs> so, Gangster's Paradise starts off with, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and I realize there's nothing left. But the weird Al Yankovic of it all would say, as I walk through the valley <laughs> where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and I realize she's very plain. <laughs> <laughs> And then in contrast to the great Coolio, the chorus begins with been spending most of their lives living in, a, living in a gangster's paradise. And where now would be like, we've been spending most of our lives living in an Amish paradise. That's that's great. It's amazing. That's pretty good. I uh, Another, uh, one of my favorite, uh, I mean, Weird Al has a bunch of has pa- so much. really great parody songs. Um, and we do recommend checking them out to give a sense of what parody is. Uh, and also because they're just fun. Like he has, instead of uh, their Cindy Lauper's uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which they do, uh, Weird Al has a parody of this song called Girls Just Want to Have Lunch, <laughs> which they also do. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, Amber, and Cin- Cindy's original lyrics say, Oh, daddy dear, you know you're still number one, but girls, they want to have fun. Oh, girls just want to have. Whereas Weird Al says they're always in the mood for something to munch. Mm-hmm. Oh, girls, they want to have lunch. Oh, girls just want to have. And, you know, we get a little later on to the chorus of the song. Oh, girls, they want to have fun. Oh, girls just want to have fun. Girls, they want to have fun. Girls want to have. Anyway, <laughs> and, we're, and Weird Al just goes back into girls. They want want to have lunch. Girls want to have. Yeah. So you get the idea. Uh, or, you know, beyond like the musical realm of things, a pretty popular parody movie is Spaceballs. Oy. The 1987 space opera. Oh, we're out of 77, decade later. Mm-hmm. 19, um, but it's a space opera parody film uh, written, produced, directed by the great Mel Brooks. Uh, it's primarily a parody of the original Star Wars trilogy, but it also parodies other sci-fi films and popular franchises like Star Trek, Alien, The Wizard of Oz even, uh, Space Odyssey. So, I mean, that's another good example of if you're, you know, on a funny movie to watch some night and see what an example of a parody is. Yeah. Uh, moving forward, uh, so in Campbell... In the court case, Campbell verse Akaf Rose Music, excuse me if I butchered that name, um, incorporated the court explained it uh, of what parody is best here. Parody needs to mimic an original to make its point. And so has and so has some claim to use the create use the creation of its victim's imagination, whereas satire can stand on its own two feet and so requires justification for the act of borrowing. So we just want to make that distinction um, a little more clear between uh, 
you know, sometimes they're used interchangeably, parody and yeah. satire. Yeah. So let's like get in more depth about the differences between parody and satire. Satire is far less likely to be considered fair use and is defined as the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly <laughs> in the context of contemporary contemporary politics and other topical issues. So while parody targets and mimics the original work to make a point, a satire uses original work to criticize something else entirely. So another way to look at this is that satire uses another work as a way to comment on something happening in the world that has nothing to do with the original work. And because the copyrighted work isn't essential to make the satiric point, it is not necessarily protected under fair use. So let's make this this distinction even more distinctive as possible. A parody is when something is imitated to make a point. Satire is when copyrighted work is used to critique another work. Okay. Yeah. And I think the moral of the story is to just ask the owner of the original work for permission before creating a parody or satire. It's like a reliable way to improve on your craft while also protecting yourself from being accused of copyright infringement. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea. When in doubt, uh, ask (laughs) the permission of the copyrighted owner. Yeah. Copyrighted works owner uh, is certainly uh, a good lesson to have. And we are not lawyers. We are librarians. So take all of our advice here. If you're really in a pickle, then definitely consult uh, someone in the legal realm. Not us. Not as of, so. of when to uh, you, of when and when you shouldn't use copyrighted work and you know how much and whatnot. We can certainly advise. Yeah, use proceed with caution for sure. And I think like the t- the key takeaways of this is when taking portions of copyrighted work, try to ask yourself the following questions: Has the material you've taken from the original work been transformed by adding new expression or meaning? And number two. Was value added to the original by creating new information, new aesthetics, new insights, and understandings? So, Hannah, got a question. Yeah, what's the question? I hear, well, it's not more of a question, it's more of a statement. I hear <laughs> a demand. That you, a demand. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that you have our public domain song of the week. What is it? Oh, that I do, Amber. Yeah. It is Ain't She Sweet, which was composed by Milton Ager. With lyrics by Jack Yellen, it was published in 1927, uh, not 77 or 87, 27, uh, by Adger Yellen and Bornstein Incorporated. It became popular in the first half of the 20th century and typified the roaring 20s. It became a Tin Pan Alley standard, and you can see digitized covers of sheet music published by songwriters of New York's famous Tin Pan Alley in the late 19th and early 20th century in our digital collection. Uh, Anyway, later on, uh, both Adger and Yellen were elected to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Milton Adger wrote Ain't She Sweet, the song here, for his daughter, Shayna. Aw, that's nice. Yeah. So there you have it. Just a beginning glimpse into the fascinating world of copyrighted work. We'll get more in-depth on this topic throughout the season, so tune in next week and follow us at Librarians, Loud Librarians Pod on the Gram. Woo-hoo. See you guys later. Hey. Bye. Bye. See you coming down the street. Now I ask you very 
confidently, ain't she sweet, ain't she nice, look her over once or twice, now I ask you very confidently, ain't she nice.